Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, President of Gateway Seminary, and each week we talk about different issues related to ministry leadership and how we can be more effective at this important task that God has given us. Uh, in a previous podcast, I talked about leading your church to be more focused on evangelism and laid out some strategies about how a church could confront some of the limitations that we face in being more evangelistic and then some strategies to put into place to, uh, to overcome those problems. Today I want to continue on the same theme, except I want to focus much more personally on how you as a leader can be more effective in sharing the gospel with other people. I want to talk specifically about bringing Jesus into the conversation, about how you can more effectively uh, be a personal witness as both a model for the people you're trying to lead and simply as an obedient Christian doing what we're all assigned the responsibility to do. Now, in the previous podcast, I outlined three different uh, broad categories of evangelism outreach or evangelism strategy. I said there are attraction strategies, engagement strategies, and infiltration strategies. And just to review briefly, an attraction strategy is a Christian event or program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. And in the field of sports, for example, that might be like having a rally with an athlete that everyone comes to hear their testimony or their Christian message. Then the engagement strategies are an event or program designed to extend ministry to unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. So an engagement strategy, again, using sports, might be an after-school sports program that your church starts, that, in you, that you host in your facilities or even in public facilities, but you're controlling the league and you're inviting people to come and participate with you. Now, that's an engagement strategy. But an infiltration strategy is, where, is the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. Now, a good example of this would be coaching Little League or coaching uh, Pop Warner football. You're joining uh, unbelievers in their context, and you're trying in that way to build relationships and start verbalizing the gospel. Now, the key word in that definition is the word deployed. And I want to talk about that just for a few moments. Uh, what it means to be deployed and how that is in contrast to how many Christians see themselves. Many Christians see themselves as dispersed Christians. What I mean by that is that when away from their church or their Christian fellowship, uh, these believers consider themselves dispersed, in other words, scattered. They're scattered among unsaved people. They find themselves at work or at school or in social settings, uh, but they keep those relationships casual to avoid any contamination with worldly behavior or any undue influence that um, these non-Christian friends or non-Christian acquaintances might have on them. So these kind of Christians see themselves as dispersed. They gather on Sundays or on other times with their Christian friends and family, and they feel safe there, and they feel welcomed and accepted there. But when they're sent out for the rest of their week, they feel like they're dispersed, they're scattered, and really they're, they're really simply trying to endure that experience so they can get back with their Christian friends or with their Christian fellowship. Now, to bring some balance to this, let's be clear. There is a biblical warning in James 1.27 to keep oneself unstained by the world. But some Christians misinterpret this verse to mean, quote, keep oneself away from any meaningful contact with people in the world who engage in sinful behavior. So keeping oneself unstained by the world 
is an important biblical directive. It has to do with maintaining your Christian commitment, your Christian ethic, your Christian morals. It has to do with maintaining who you are as a follower of Jesus in every context. It does not, however, preclude you from building meaningful relationships with people who may act very differently than you, who may certainly think very differently than you, and whose values um, you may even find offensive or even reprehensible. Your responsibility is to be, however, a deployed Christian, not a dispersed one. Now, what's the difference? Well, a deployed Christian leaves the safety and comfort of Christian community, communicates the gospel in their circle of influence or circle of interest, and then regathers with believers from time to time to recharge for future service. Think about the difference. A deployed Christian leaves the Christian community, but on mission, on purpose, with intentionality. They realize that they're going among unbelievers in their circle of influence or circle of interest, and they're communicating the gospel with them, and they have a purpose and reason for being there. I believe God has deployed the church today into our culture, not just dispersed the church into the culture. You know, when we send uh, military forces around the world, they often use this word deploy or deployment to describe where they're going. And that word deploy or deployment carries with it a sense of mission and purpose and intentionality. We don't send a military force halfway around the world and say, well, when you get there, uh, just do what you can. No, we send them there to, comp to accomplish a specific purpose. And I believe that's what God has done for us. We're not simply dispersed in our cultures uh, are our communities, we are deployed. We're sent there on mission. Now, with that in mind, as a Christian leader, and as you are trying to both model this and teach it to others, what are some steps that you can take to help you transition your mindset from being dispersed, I'm just scattered among unbelievers and I have to endure that until I can get back with the Christians that I really want to be with, to being a deployed Christian where you see I'm intentionally on mission out here among unbelievers and I'm purposefully engaging them with the gospel. What are some steps you can take to move from being a, having a dispersed mindset to having a deployed mindset? Well, let me give you four of these. And in the context of these, I'm also going to teach you the most important thing I've learned about evangelism in the last decade. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, but especially for me with a doctoral degree in evangelism and lots of training and lots of experience, I'm not exaggerating when I say I'm going to teach you something in a moment that's the most important thing I've learned in the last 10 years. Well, what are the four steps then that you can take to being more deployed rather than just dispersed? First, be engaged. What I mean is learn to really connect with people and prioritize building genuine relationships with unbelievers, not just being in their general vicinity and hoping for the best. A few years ago, I was teaching on this when a fellow came up to me and said, hey, I'm a lot like you. I've got kids that are involved in youth sports, and just like you, I'm out there a lot uh, with my kids in various contexts, but I don't seem to have the the ability to get the gospel into the conversation or to really make that a witnessing opportunity like you seem to have been able to do. So could you talk to me about that? So we talked for a while there, uh, just sort of as a sidebar to the conference about what he could do more effectively. Well, it so happened that a few weeks later, by uh, bringing together of uh, you know circumstances, I happened to be at a sporting event, a little league game, where he was present. And I was able to watch him. And what happened was interesting. He was there 
but he was on his cell phone almost the whole time. He was either taking calls, making calls, or texting. And when he was making calls or taking calls, he was behind the stands pacing back and forth. Now, I spent that same game uh, sitting in the stands among parents, uh, engaging them in conversation, uh, listening to their concerns and their needs, laughing at their stories, watching the game a little bit with them, but really trying to be fully um, engaged with them so that I could have a genuine a connection with them in that context. You know, being engaged with unbelievers means more than just being among them. Uh, you may go to, go to work every day if you're listening to this and you have a secular job, and you may be around unbelievers all the time. But do you sit down and have lunch with them? Do you ask them about their families, about their concerns, about their issues? Uh, do you listen to their stories? Uh, do you find out what they like to do and what they think about life? And do you listen to their opinions on current events or even solicit those opinions? That's what it means to be engaged. Dispersed Christians are just out there. Deployed Christians are engaged with unbelievers trying to build relationships that lead to gospel sharing. A second thing I would say is be persistent. Many relationships mature over time, uh, slowly building to the place where the gospel can be shared appropriately. And even then, the gospel is not always immediately embraced. And one of the key measures of whether you're really persistent in these relationships is when you've gotten to the point where you've introduced the gospel into a conversation and perhaps the gospel was heard but not received, what do you do then? Well, some Christians say, well, they've heard, I just move on. But persistent, deployed Christians stay engaged in that relationship. Now, this has been a striking, uh, I have a striking example of this. A number of years ago, uh, gosh, now almost 30 years ago, uh, our family met another family and we started a relationship with them. And after several months of that relationship, they came to visit our church once. And uh, then we had them over to our home for some, uh, you know, barbecue, uh, backyard-type uh, gathering. And that relationship just kept slowly unfolding until finally um, we were able to share the gospel with them. And in sharing the gospel with them, the response was really kind of interesting. The, the woman in the relationship actually brought an old Bible out of a, case, uh, out of a chest of drawers that she had uh, that she had gotten you know, during a vacation Bible school and written in the flyleaf was a message that said, on this day, this person received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she said, I've had this Bible for years. Um, I don't even know what that means. I guess I did something back then, so I guess I'm good. <laughs> well, then her husband, when he heard the gospel, he said, I understand what you're trying to say to me. I'm not really interested in that right now. Well, we've maintained our relationship with them over the years. And in fact, I have had some very meaningful and personal moments with them involving uh, the death of loved ones, uh, meaningful uh, successes and celebrations like graduations, and we've maintained a friendship and a continued witness of uh, reminding them of those previous conversations or asking them about the gospel and how they're considering it. And as far as I know, uh, unless something's changed in the last few days, uh, the woman in the relationship is, is still thinking about that commitment she made as a child, which is really no evidential demonstration in her life today as an adult, but she still sort of clings to that. And then her husband's still saying, well, I, I get what you're saying, but it's just not for me. Anyway, what I'm saying is you don't dismiss people like this or give up on them. You stay persistently connected to them and keep trying to find ways to live out the gospel with them. 
Well, the third way to be more deployed rather than just dispersed is to be sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel. Now, this is where I want to share the most important thing I've learned about evangelism in the last decade. When I was first trained as a personal witness, there was a lot of emphasis placed on uh, what I would call as uh, street apologetics. Uh, you learned a lot, you memorized a lot of scripture, and you memorized a lot of questions that might be asked by unbelievers, and you memorized, uh, you know, glib answers to give to those questions. And there was a lot of focus put on making sure that you had the answers to the questions so that if anyone asked you anything controversial or difficult or that was challenging, you could step in and have the right answer in the right moment. Well, I don't dismiss that kind of training. I think it still has value. But that was the focus uh, back when I was uh, learning how to be a personal witness. And back then, the way that you tried to bring Jesus into the conversation was by asking probing questions like, has there ever been a time in your life when you received Jesus Christ? Or do you know for certain if you die today that you'd go to heaven? And uh, those kinds of questions, again, are still appropriate. But I don't find them to be as effective today as introducing Jesus into the conversation or the gospel into the conversation. So a few years ago, I was a part of a panel discussion, and the panel was made up of, of sports chaplains of, major, uh, of professional sports teams. And one of the uh, people asked the panel, how do you bring Jesus into the conversation with professional athletes? And another panelist gave an answer of some of the ways he did that, and it was as if light started flashing on in my mind, reflecting on my own experience, and then his experience, and then adding to that uh, some additional insight that I've gained over the, over the years. So I want to tell you now how I do it. Rather than trying to memorize answers to difficult questions and then asking those questions to try to prod people into talking about the gospel, I've learned instead to simply be sensitive to four things that happen in every person's life eventually. And when one of those four things happens, have the courage then to step through that door of opportunity and introduce the gospel, introduce Jesus to the conversation. So what are those four things? Well, I have, if you want to say it this way, my spiritual radar on or my spiritual antenna up. And when I'm with unbelievers, whether I'm with them in a social setting, whether I'm with them in a community setting, uh, whether, I was doing it, whether I was doing this as a baseball chaplain or whether I'm doing this in my uh, travels around the country speaking, when I'm with unbelievers, I'm listening, looking for, being sensitive to these four things. The first one is people die. When someone dies, the people who are impacted are particularly sensitive and open to spiritual conversation. For example, one of the early times this happened in our lives was when we were very young in our marriage. We had moved into our first home, and we made friends with the young couple across the street. Now, make friends is probably an overstatement at this point. We had a very casual acquaintance with them. Uh, they moved in. We waved from across the street. We went over and met them. Uh, we tried to connect with them, but uh, the woman that was moving in was very pregnant, and my wife had a small baby as well, and very soon after they moved in, the woman gave birth to twins. So here's these two families living across the street, waving from the driveways, talking across the street, occasionally walking over and visiting with one another, but frankly, both super busy with very small children. This went on for a few months. One morning, I walked out, picked up the newspaper, opened it as I was walking into my house, and saw on the front page that there had been an accident the night before in the railroad industry in our community, and a man had been killed. And the man who'd been killed was my across-the-street neighbor. 
So I walked in and told my wife about it. Now, back in those days, Ann was a lot more shy than she's today and uh, had a lot more time reaching out to strangers or reaching out to people that, than she does today. But when I told her what had happened, she said, I have to do something. So she went in the kitchen and made up a small dish of food and walked across the street, knocked on the door and said uh, to the woman, hey, I, I found out what happened to your husband. I, I don't know what I can do to help you, but I'm here and I want to help you today. Well, that moment of compassionate outreach in the context of her husband's death really opened the door of my wife building a relationship with this woman. And about six months later, she professed faith in Jesus Christ, and I actually baptized her. What I mean by being sensitive when people die is recognize that death opens people with a spiritual sensitivity that gives, them a, a gives you an opportunity to simply demonstrate the love of Christ and speak the gospel into their lives and help them understand not only your care for them, but God's care and desire to have a relationship with them. So the first thing to watch for to be more sensitive in these kind of relationships is people die. Second, relationships struggle. There was, what I mean is that in almost, every, almost everyone at some point in their life will have a relationship that becomes really problematic. Perhaps it's a struggle in a marriage. It might be a struggle between a parent and a child. It might be a struggle between uh, two siblings. It might be a struggle between um, a, an engaged couple or maybe even a broken relationship. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But relationships struggle. When I was the uh, chaplain for the San Francisco Giants, I once walked into family chapel and as I was uh, coming into the room, one of the Christian wives pulled me aside and said, hey, there's a wife here today for the first time. She's really upset, and I hope you'll take time to talk to her after chapel. So I did the chapel service, and it was obvious this woman was very upset, tears streaming down her cheeks. Uh, she looked like she hadn't slept in days, very distraught. So as soon as chapel was over, I went over, sat down beside her, a lot of the other people sort of vacated the room because they knew that, uh, that this was a, a, tent, a, a sensitive situation. And I said, you know, how, how can I help you? I'm not exaggerating. I think she talked for about an hour and a half before I said anything other than a oh yeah or uh-huh. She poured out an hour and a half's worth of pain, turmoil, heartache, broken trust, and anger toward her husband. She told me about his behaviors that were really despicable and reprehensible. She told me about uh, their relationship and how much it had deteriorated. It was one of the most painful and difficult conversations I've, I've ever heard. Well, after she finished, I talked with her about Jesus Christ and the gospel and God's love for her. And quite honestly, she said, uh, I don't want to hear about a man loving me. I've heard that story. And that she rejected, she rejected Jesus in that moment because of how badly another man had hurt her, namely her husband. But she agreed to meet and talk with me again at a later time. And, and that really, uh, uh, that first conversation was only the beginning of our relationship. Well, a few days later, I was in the clubhouse and I saw her husband and said, Hey, listen, uh, I just want to be transparent with you and say that, you know, your wife has talked with me about some issues and struggles and um, I'm going to follow up with her, but I also want to offer to you, if there's anything I can do to help you with this situation, you know, I'd be glad to do that. 
So he said, well, you know, it is kind of a rough time, and so, yeah, maybe we could use some help. And so I was able to talk with him for a little while and, and actually share the gospel with him just very quickly there, even in that first conversation. Well, I followed up, met with his wife. Um, the team went on the road, so he was gone for a couple of weeks. She started being much more open to the gospel and much more receptive to the fact that Jesus Christ could come into her life and really change her and her family. And, and over a short period of time, uh, she became a Christian. Well, <clears throat> a few more weeks went by, and I came to the clubhouse one day, and her husband said, hey, uh, if you got a minute, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. So I said, "What? how can I help? He said, okay, you talked to me about you know, accepting Jesus into my life. I said, yeah. He said, all right, well, I heard what you had to say, but I wanted to talk to somebody that I, that I respected. <laughs> well, you can imagine how that felt. I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad for that. And he said, uh, so I called another player, a guy that I've known for years that I know is a real Christian. I said, okay. So I talked to him for about two hours. And at the end of that conversation on the phone, he helped me and I prayed and committed my life to Jesus Christ. I said, well, that's fantastic. He said, yeah, okay, that's great. But now I need to tell you what else he said. I said, okay. He goes, uh, so my friend told me, you got a chaplain, right? I said, yeah. And the chaplain already talked to you, talked to you about Jesus. Yeah. All right, here's what I want you to do. Find the chaplain, tell him you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, ask him what you're supposed to do next, and then do whatever he says. I said, okay. And the player says, so chaplain, I'm asking you, what do I do now? <laughs> well, that started us down a path of discipleship, which resulted in this family being restored um, and, this, 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 uh, their, and their lives being completely revolutionized by Jesus Christ. But how did that all begin? It all began with a relational struggle. Listen, when you're in the community among unbelievers and someone says to you, hey, I'm having some real challenges with my teenager or my, uh, my mom or my dad or my husband or my wife, that's an opportunity to step in and talk about how Jesus Christ can change lives and make good relationships happen. This happened another time for me, not quite as dramatically. I was actually at a Little League game. I wasn't coaching that day. I was just sitting in the stands when another dad came in and sat down beside me. Our boys were both on the team. They were both 12 at the time. And this dad said, uh, hey, I, I want to I ask you something. I said, sure. He goes, uh, you seem to have a pretty good relationship with your kid. I said, well, <laughs> we have our moments, but, yeah, we, we get along pretty good. He said, well, I, I, I'm not getting along very well with my 12-year-old. In fact, honestly, I can barely stand him, and I don't even think he wants to be around me. And I don't know what to do about it. And I just want to know sort of what do you guys do? What have you done that's made the difference? Well, I mean, that, that's the greatest opening I, I could have ever hoped for for the gospel. And so I, sh I shared the gospel. I said, well, listen, the ground of our relationship is really what I've learned from God about how to be a parent. And the reason that matters to me is because Jesus Christ came into my life. He's my Lord and Savior. He, he directs me to read the Bible. The Bible has information about parenting. And, and that's really not the secret. That's just the plain, old, that's the plain, honest, open truth, really, of how you can have the same experience. And so that day right there at the Little League field, uh, a broken relationship led me to the opportunity to share the gospel and to talk with another dad about what Jesus Christ could mean in his life. So how do you move from being dispersed to being deployed? Well, be more sensitive to people around you. When people die, our relationships fail. Here's another one. Or, excuse me, relationship struggle. Here's another one. Health fails. You know, I've been sick, really sick, so sick that I had to have two surgeries in five days, and so I know what it feels like 
to be helpless and to have a sense of helplessness because of the fact that there's nothing you can do in a situation or there's very little that can be done in a situation. When that happens, the person whose health has failed and the people around that person are often open to a conversation about the gospel. A few years ago, a man came to me and said that uh, he wanted to talk with me, and I sure met with him. He said, listen, I have some questions, and he started asking me questions about the Bible and about God and about the gospel. Now, this really surprised me because I'd known this guy for years. He'd always been very standoffish and never wanted to have anything to do with me or have anything to do with talking about God or the gospel. And so I was intrigued by his questions, and I said, <clears throat> as I started answering them, I said, what's, what's motivating these questions? Kind of where is this coming from, this new interest you have? And he said, well, you know, my mom has had cancer, and she's deteriorated, and quite, quite honestly, a few months ago, she died. Well, I didn't even know that. I, I was surprised about the whole story. I said, well, tell me more about that. And so he recounted for me his mother's long illness and, and what that had meant in her life. And, and, and a, he, he told me about a spiritual awakening and a rekindling of her love for God and relationship with God that had happened because of her illness. And he said throughout that whole process and watching her, a lot of these same questions came up in my mind. You know, if I were sick or if it were me that was dying, what would I do? How would I re- react? And is there a God? And does it matter? And so that's kind of where this is all coming from. So when health fails, not only the person who's going through the health crisis, but also the people who are around that person, when health fails, the gospel often has new opportunity. And then last, things break. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that uh, dreams end or hopes fade or things physically break. I mean like things like mortgages get foreclosed or jobs get lost or stock markets crash. I mean that engagements get broken. I mean that dreams or hopes are things that you've really put a lot of stock in just evaporate right in front of your eyes. When that happens, people are often open to talking in fresh ways about the gospel. So when I talk about being more sensitive... I'm not talking about just developing some kind of touchy-feely magic about knowing mysteriously when people are open to talking about the gospel. I'm talking about paying attention to what's going on in the lives of unbelievers. And when you see there that these experiences are happening, people die, relationships struggle, health fails, or things break. When you see these things happening, step in with the gospel. Now, how do you step in? Well, I've learned to do this by stepping in with two key questions. The first question is, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? That's what my wife asked when she went across the street with that uh, dish to help that, that young widow. That's what I said to the woman I sat down beside who was crying through the chapel service. Um, how can I help? What can I do to help? What can I do to serve you? You know, a few years ago, I was coaching Little League with a guy who was not a Christian, at least not a professing uh, Christian. He had a Catholic background, and his mother had passed away. I found out about it, and he said, I won't be at the practice on Tuesday and probably won't be at the game on Wednesday or practice on Thursday. I'm going to be out most of the week because my mom's passed, and we're going to have her service on Tuesday afternoon. I said, well, really, okay, what time is that going to be? He goes, oh, 2 o'clock down at, and he named a particular Catholic church. Well, you know, I arranged to take off time from work, and I, I went down there for the service. I just went in, sat down, went experienced the, the, the memorial service, and then when it was over, went through the receiving line to greet the family. And 
when I got to this particular friend of mine, he was facing away from me, shaking hands with another person, and then he released that person and turned to me. And when he saw me, his face just dropped with shock, like, and he blurted out, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, if my mom had died, I, I think I'd have needed a friend. So I just came today to let you know I'm your friend and see what I could do to help you. And he had been going down this receiving line greeting people as people had passed by in a rather perfunctory fashion, you know, with kind of a stoic face. But when I said that to him, uh, you know, tears just start streaming down his cheeks. And he said, uh, you have no idea what that means to me. Thank you. Well, it wasn't the place for a full gospel presentation. There's another hundred people standing in line behind me, but I moved on down the line. And that one moment changed our relationship when he came back to the help coach the team he was no longer just sort of a distant dad who was out there trying to help me. Now he's a friend. And we had many meaningful conversations after that about life and about what happened with his mom and about his particular relationship with God. But it all started because I reached out to him and asked him that question, what can I do to help? And then the second question is, may I pray for you? Now, most Christians hear me say that and they think, oh, you know, that's not really all that big a deal. May I pray for you? But what you don't understand is that most people in our world have never had anyone pray for them in their presence out loud. Now, you may not believe this, but, believe, but I want you to trust me that on my experience of talking to hundreds and hundreds of people this way, many of them, many of them have told me, you know, no, one, no one's ever prayed for me like that before. Or I've asked them, has anyone ever prayed for you this way before? No, never. We go to church as Christians all the time, and we pray for each other, and we share prayer requests, and we call out our names in prayer to God and the names of other people in prayer to God. But you have to understand, the only praying most people do is silent praying. They think a prayer to God and hope he hears it. They don't ever sit down before a meal and pray. They don't sit down with their family to pray. They don't have a pastor they go to or anyone else they go to. They've never heard their name called out loud to God in prayer. So I ask people, may I, may I pray for you about this? Or may I pray for your mother or your brother or whoever's involved? Only one time in all my life have I ever been told, no, I don't believe in prayer and I don't want you to pray. Every other time, every other time, people have said, well, yes, that, that, that would be great. And what surprised me is how many people have said, yes, go ahead. And they want me to pray right then. Probably the, probably the most... Uh, uh, amazing example of this was one day I uh, went into the clubhouse of, a, of the Giants, and as I was in the clubhouse, um, a player said to me, hey, there's another player that's uh, just found out that his dad has cancer, and it's really advanced. It's terminally probably going to live much longer. He just found out a couple days ago. Well, I didn't really have much of a relationship with this player. He never came to chapel or anything like that, but I walked over to his locker and said, hey, I just heard that your, that your dad is really not doing well. And we talked for about that for a few minutes, and then I said, you know, what can I do to help? And he said, well, I think we're good, but I appreciate your friendship and support on it. And I said, all right, well, may I pray for your dad? Would that be all right? And he goes, that would be great. And then he looked at me and said, hit it, and bowed his head right there. Now, we're in the context of a clubhouse where there's people yelling, there's music playing, there's all kind of reporters standing around. And I'm like, I thought, really? Okay. So I bowed my head, and I prayed for that player right then. It shocked me that he would ask me to do that, but it just reinforced to me that most people have no one that will pray for them, and if someone offers, man, they'll take them up on the spot. Well, people die, relationships struggle, health fails, 
things break. These are things I've learned over the years that help me be more sensitive in sharing the gospel. And then last of all, be contagious. Man, to be more dispersed or be more deployed and less just being dispersed, be contagious. Be yourself. Uh, and that's why it's important to be with unbelievers that you like, that you respect, that you enjoy being around, and that you can really build relationships with. You know, I'd probably be lost at a ballet recital. Um, I don't know really a lot about what it would be like to be in an orchestra, but I, I feel pretty good around a ball club or around athletes. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable around business people. And so I naturally go those places and connect in those places. And when I'm there, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to fake out what I'm trying to be. I just be myself. And because I connect with them on various levels, just the contagious nature of Christianity can be seen in my life and caught from me because I'm not trying to uh, be something that I'm not. So I'm thankful to God for the dance majors and the people that understand uh, music and the people that are connected in all kinds of cultures, like I have a friend that's really involved in shooting as a hobby, and I'm not. He's connected in that culture. Uh, I'm so glad for that. You know, I have another friend that does Ironman triathlons. I'm certainly not doing that, but he's all connected there, and he's had opportunity to share the gospel in that context. What I'm saying is be contagious. Be yourself, and connect with unbelievers with who you are and with who they are, and they'll receive you and respect you, and they'll find it easy to hear the gospel from you when it's appropriate to share it. So today... How to introduce Jesus into the conversation? Well, you can do that by seeing yourself as deployed, not dispersed. And you can move toward being more deployed by being engaged, persistent, sensitive, and contagious and putting into practice the things I've taught you today. Well, we have a big responsibility to share the gospel. That's just part of what we do. We have a lot more to do, so get busy doing it. Lead on.